Your plans? Today it's dinner with the parents at your spot. We gotta come back here. Now, their spot. Or you're on the edge of your seat at the game. Come on, just one time. And it's the one. <gasps> or maybe you're catching the next flight to... Now boarding flight 1850. Oh, that's you. The choice is yours. And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, radio has been called theater of the mind. So let's tell a story with sound effects. Wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Your approach is everything. How you conduct yourself and how you come up to somebody says a lot about you. In today's world, that approach is increasingly digital. What is our digital footprint? And how is that footprint making someone else better? My guest today is Jana Short. And Jana is all about building positive promotional vibes for people, getting people to develop great content and build relationships. After all, building relationships is what makes us human, at least a large part of it. Are you continuing to showcase your humanity and your approach in meeting people? Or do you think that the robotic approach is best? No matter how far we go in our future, way beyond what we can imagine, humanity will still be important. Your approach is important. I hope you enjoy this episode with Jana Short. Awesome. Well, you look fantastic. Now, is it, I have a friend named Yana and I have a friend named like Jana. Which one is it? Or Jana. Jana. Yeah. The the other one that's spelled that way, she's from like the Czech Republic. So it's like Yana. That's where my name comes from. When we were over in Prague, people are like, oh, you're from here. I'm like, no. You're like, not so much. When were you last in Prague? Last year, last December. Oh man. I went there probably 20 years ago, long time ago. I love it. It's kind of this a very interesting place. I always thought like kind of Gothic almost, at least when I was there, you know, the, all the churches and stuff. And I, it was, it's still that way. And I, that would be the one place I travel a lot and there's not very many places I would go back to cause I've already been there. Totally would go back to Prague. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's saying something, right? Yeah. So you're traveling a lot. Where have you, where are your experiences taking you to? Well, in the last couple of years alone, I climbed Machu Picchu. So I was in Peru. I have just got back from Africa. So we did a safari in Africa. Um, I've been to Chile, to Patagonia, to Argentina. I'm trying to think. I've been so many places. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to Amsterdam at the end of March to see the tulips and then into Milan to Lake Como. Wow. Sounds like a pretty adventurous life. It is. I'm making memories. <laughs> of course. You're doing, you're just getting out there and getting it done, Jana, you know? Yep. That's so awesome. Well, I saw you through uh, 
the I think a mutual site we're on, Spot a Guest. Yes. And uh, I don't know. I've I've had a good time on it so far. I don't know, but maybe I see differently. I'm not sure, but uh, I met met some really wonderful people. Me too. I like it. And I came across your deal, and I said, "Wow, this is somebody I think I'd like to get to know and chat with on my podcast." And so here we are, you know. And I'm excited. So I look at your background. So um, talk to me a little bit about your health coaching and what stirred the drink to get you into that. You know. So I'm more of a mind coach, a mindset coach. Okay. And that what stirred the drink for that was I got very sick about 10 years ago. And when I ran out of um, options for Western medicine, uh, I came home and I was with my grandson after two months in the hospital. He was very young. And I remember thinking I had to create a um, memory with him. He's not going to have any memories of me. He was only like five or six weeks old. So I went online to start searching for more holistic options. And when I went online searching, I it was crazy, right? There's so much out there yeah. that it was really hard to narrow it down, like what would help me. So I just started educating myself more and more on the holistic options that were available to me. What I do like to let people know is don't get discouraged because where else in the world can I sit at my computer or in my sick bed with my iPhone and extend my reach globally and reach out everywhere to find that perfect expert for me. So I'm really grateful for that. But the more I educated myself, the more I started moving into health and wellness. So what's been your experience or tell me kind of the, let me back up. What's been the initial experience that you've had once you started getting into uh, health and wellness? Um, my experience now that I'm a coach and I do my business online, I was running into people like me that were already ran into a lot of people driving product towards them, um, already had that distrust that there was nothing out there for them or everybody was, you know, selling them something. Mm -hmm. So I really worked hard to learn that when we first meet our spouses, right, we don't show up wherever we're meeting them and say, you're going to marry me. I want exactly. this, I want this or the house. We exactly. dated, right? We got to know each other. We created a rapport with each other. And we've lost that ability online. People just post 50% off my 12-week program. Or <laughs> So true. Yeah, there's no personality. They don't know you. Uh, so nobody's going to sign up for that unless they know you. Why do, why do you think people still do that, though? That they still have that behavior of like, hey, look at my 30-second video. Have you checked out this gel you know, type of thing, you know? Exactly, because nobody wants to do the work. Like they don't want to do the work to create those relationships. And online became superficial. It was an easy place to just be a, a, a fake person. A lot of people yeah. have different avatars. And a lot of our authenticity just started to fade away into the background. And I'm trying to bring that forward now. So what are the ways that you're developing that um, that are maybe unique to what you're doing? So right now I, I work as a mindset coach, but I also take 20 clients each quarter and I create influencers. They have to be not pushing a product. They have mm -hmm. to be very reputable at what they do. And the way we do that is by getting them on multiple podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. um, putting them in magazine articles where they're getting real write-ups about their profession, having them blog. Blogging is so important. If you are an educator and you want people to get to know you, it's evergreen. So getting out there and re, you know blogging about what you do, who you are is really important. And so we give them all these platforms to get out there in social media and keep them in people's face, but they can't sell a product. 
It's all about them sharing their story, while they're why they're doing what they're doing, and start building that connection with their perfect client. How do you source out? I got a several things in my mind. It just starts popping up. How do you source out when you're working with people? Podcasting is interesting. I mean, you have a podcast, I believe, right? And I, I have one. A lot of people have one. How do you source out with people whether they'd be good guests on podcasts, even be being on a podcast for say? Some people well, may be good at just the writing content aspect of it. My podcast is super easy because I wanted to create a storyline for people who were losing hope on looking on, especially looking online. And so my, my podcast is about people sharing their message of hope. For instance, I was an interior designer all my life. It's what I went to school for originally. My husband's a veterinarian. My ex-husband's an internist. So all I knew was Western medicine. And as I recreated myself in this field, I started, you know, going away from what I did. But I had a story of hope. Out of my illness came this beautiful, magical place for me to be. And so I want people to share for instance, if you're a health and wellness fitness instructor, you probably didn't grow up thinking, I'm going to be a fitness instructor. Something probably occurred in your life that led you on that journey. And I think it's really important that we share that so people know there's hope for me. I can change. I did this at my 50s, right? I have seven grandkids. I recreated myself in my 50s, and it was the best decade of my life. So you can recreate yourself at any point and follow your passion, whatever that fire is in your gut. And mine was getting out there and sharing a message of hope. Do you have people like in the 20 people you work with that are saying, oh, they're hesitant to be on podcasts or, you know, sharing their story on different content uh, platforms? I definitely do. Sharing your story is very personal. It's really hard and it exposes you, right? But it's Correct. a really good it's a really good way of connecting. And after I didn't share my story for the first two years of my journey, because I didn't think anyone would be interested. And I want as a coach, I wanted to be more of a listener than someone who was actually talking. So I, it took me a while. But once they do it a couple of times, and they see that how they're helping, and they get comfortable, it becomes really beautiful. And it just starts flowing out of them. I definitely agree with that. I mean, I've doing my podcast a while. And People, it almost like vomit their life out <laughs> once you just get going, once you hit this stride. And then they have this, uh, as one of my other guests said I had today, is this vulnerability hangover where they have just exposed so much and put so much out there that they are like, wow, I can't believe I really put all that information out for people to hear. I think it's amazing. I do too. I think the more you expose yourself, the more people will relate to you as a human being. And when they're looking for a coach, they want someone that can, like, it's really hard for someone who's never had to lose weight, who's a fitness instructor for me to sit there and say, well, I'm struggling with this last 30 pounds and I can't do it. You probably don't understand that. But if they share their story and said, no, I do understand. That's why I got into fitness. I too struggled. And if they start sharing that story, they become so much more approachable. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. And I think that vulnerability is something that's really incredible. Um, I guess it's funny that the last thing I did and now it's really transitioned into this concept of vulnerability that people are hungry for it. I feel like people want to get their story out and they're hungry to be as open as possible. Do you think that's changed over the course of your lifetime or in the business that you've been you've been doing currently? 
I definitely think it's changed. I grew up in a sort of generation where you didn't talk about your personal life. You left right. it at home. <laughs> and so getting out there, exposing yourself wasn't something you did. And it definitely was probably one of the reasons that held me back from sharing my story because it felt like a weakness to be sick. And I didn't want people to picture me as weak because I'm this mother of four and, you know, I'm out there with holding my own business in the interior design and I didn't want people to see me as sick or weak. So sharing my story was really hard because of the background I had. And I'm sure people of my age understood, understand that. But now we raise our children. Tell me how you feel. My mom <laughs> didn't want to know how I felt. She just wanted me to stop that behavior that I was doing. <laughs> it's so funny. It's what changed? What do you think changed from your generation to where it is now? And we're talking about our feelings. Well, we got smarter because we should talk about our feelings yeah. and we made a space that's safe like to talk about it. And parents, I think now will focus in on that. My mom was busy. She didn't. I was raised by a single mom. She did not have time to hear about we were feeling anxious about something. If you have to do it, so you're going to do it. And now we sit and talk our kids through that. Like, oh, you're anxious. We'll take a few deep breaths. And yep. our whole society has changed around <laughs> how our emotions are, right? Which is not a bad thing, but I think sometimes the pendulum can swing too far one way. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Is uh, I think that's kind of what uh, millennials get kicked on a lot, which is this whole like, okay, then you surrounded this cocoon for your child. And then they got out there and then they were about their feelings and stuff, but then it was almost too much in a sense. Have, have you seen, so talk about that pendulum swing on one side a little bit too much. I will, because as a mother of four and I have seven grandchildren, I now know the hardest thing for me to do and the best thing I can give them is to see them struggle. Yeah. And so when we want to come in and make it all better, they never going to have those problem solving skills. I met a man one time and I really wish I could remember his name, but I'm sure you guys could Google him because he was born with no arms or legs. Mm -hmm. And this man climbed Mount Everest. So wow. you can put in that in Google and find him. But as he was talking, he said the only reason he could do that is because his mom and his grandmother were his major caretakers. And when he was struggling to eat, because he had no arms, when he was struggling how to eat, his dad got so mad at the grandparent, the grandmother and the mother for, for feeding him and taking care of him that he said, leave him alone. He'll figure it out or he'll starve. And he said, I thought, oh my gosh, is he serious? Will I starve? <laughs> but this, he does everything for himself. He has created the most, he says the only thing he can't do is buttons. Yeah. He, so everything snaps or zippers. But that he makes has, sense. <laughs> he is a functional, amazing human being sharing a story, climbing Mount Everest. And that never would have happened if his parents did not step back and suffer watching him struggle to get to that point. So sometimes the joy of letting your kids struggle comes later, but it, it manages to make a really strong problem solving generation. Yeah, for sure. I think so. It's interesting. Like I grew up in a generation where my parents talked a little bit about feelings, but it was a lot about you're going to make mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes and you should make mistakes. You know, it's, it's a great lesson to learn those things. And then I see like my daughter's eight and I feel like I try to talk to her about similar things, but I definitely like am not cocooning her. I'm like, no, no, she needs to be able to, this hard times, it's part of it. You know, type of thing. 
Do you remember when your child was learning to walk and they you say, oh, and they fall and they just miss the corner of the yeah. table? And then what do you do? Yay, good yeah. job. Right, right. Yeah. So we exactly. celebrated their their fall, but now they're great walkers, right? Yeah. I remember my <laughs> daughter would fall and you know, then they they turn around, and they look at you, right? When like if they, you know, and they want to see if you're gonna be like, oh, are you okay? And I'm just like, you're fine, you're good. <laughs> right. right, you celebrated her failure. Like, woo, good job. Get up. Right. All right, now get up. We got to keep moving. Keep it moving here. I <laughs> you promise know? you, you have a really great walker who will probably walk the rest of her life with no problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you think's been the biggest challenge in your work to date? Um, the biggest challenge for me and my job is when I'm working with a client, and I, I'm talking about in the um, health area. Yeah. When I can see that I can help them and. I have to sit and let them go because they're not ready to receive that. You have to be ready to receive it. When I was sick and I went online, honestly, if somebody told me you need to get a chicken, collect its poo, rub it on your face and wear it, I was so desperate for any kind of right. answers to be right. here. I would have tried it. So my mind was open to receiving anything. But a lot of times I sit behind a count or next to a client and I look in their eyes and I everything I'm saying, I'm getting blocked. And I know that I, they're not ready to receive any kind of healing or wellness. And it's just not their space yet. And I have to let them go. I can't keep shoving it down their throats. And that's the hardest thing for me, knowing I could have helped them and having to let them go because they're not ready for that help. What's their reaction when that happens? Most of them come back. Hmm. Because maybe they're not ready today. Maybe something, maybe something even scarier happens in a month, a year. And they're like, I remember her and I didn't, because I didn't shove it down their throat. I'm like, I'm here when you're ready. They, yeah. They'll come back. So it's been really great as far as, I don't say I can't help you get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I let them know that maybe you're not in this place that we can work yet, but when you are, I'm always going to be here and they usually come back. So, and part of this process, like I said, you're getting people on different platforms to tell their story. Is there certain things you're coaching them on about, let's say being a guest on a podcast? that you're telling them without giving away all, all the stuff you're doing. I know you're coaching, but is there a lot of coaching going to being on a show for somebody? Um, I do mindset blocks. I, I remove mindset blocks. Um, mm -hmm. For instance, I was told when I first started becoming an RTT um, practitioner, we work with mindset blocks and everybody has them. And now that I'm a practitioner, when people are talking to me in my head, I'm hearing block, block as they're mm -hmm. talking, like I recognize them right away. But when I was going through it, they told me I had a money block. So how many of you have been told you have a money block? And you're like, uh, no, I'm not turning away money if it's coming to me. <laughs> like, you'd have to be an idiot. And that a was my block. response, right? I don't yeah. block money. You, I have money. I don't I'm block like, money. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing pretty good. And so I don't know what you're talking about. But I went through the course. And sure enough, through the course, they take you back in hypnosis. When we do it, we, we put you under hypnosis. You kind of go back through your timeline. Mm -hmm. And there was my mom in my generation telling me that be careful when I want to go to college, you can go to college, but be careful if you're more educated than your husband, they will feel insecure and they'll leave you. Oh. It, but that's my generation. We were told that you couldn't be more successful, more educated or make more money than your spouses, or they would feel insecure and the relationship would be off balance and they would leave. That's how we grew up. Yeah. And when I heard that, I was like, Oh, I, I remember my mom saying that all the time and she didn't say it out of being mean. She was trying to protect me and wanted me to be in a loving relationship. And that was her idea of a loving relationship. But when I removed that block, 
within 48 hours, I'm at my computer and all this stuff is popping up. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I opened the doors of abundance and it's all coming to me. Mm-hmm. The weird thing is it had always been there. It was always there. It was things I had already communicated back and forth with people on. I just wasn't seeing it because I had that block. And once I removed that block, well, within the year of removing it, I launched my magazine. I launched my podcast. Like it's just been amazing. So there are blocks. And if you don't think you have a money block, how many of you were told if you asked Santa for a swimming pool and you didn't get it, don't be greedy. You've got all these gifts. That doesn't, that's a block. That doesn't mean you can't keep asking for the things that you want. Or how many of you have come to me and said, if I could just make enough to make my house payment and my car payment, it will be enough. You have a mind block of just enough. Mm. And you will always be making just Just enough enough. unless you remove that mind block and allow more in. What are, besides money, and maybe that is, what's the most common block that you see with people? There's love blocks. There's people who block love because they don't feel deserving of it. There's success blocks. So people can be very wealthy, but never really hit achieve success in anything they do. Like they're bouncing from place to place. Um, so there's all different kinds of blocks. And there are things that we probably have heard when, from our grandparents or on TV from back when we were five or six as a child. And we've held those in, in our brains and our beautiful minds. And it's kept us from achieving our full potential. So when I hear those blocks, I just walk them back. I let them see it as an adult. I let them tell themselves, that's not me. That's never going to be me. I was a child and this is my potential and move into that potential. And the weird thing is once I take them back again, they can't even find it. Like it's gone. So, and what is their reaction once they feel like this block has been removed? What's kind of the, the emotional aspect of it for them? Mostly awareness. A lot of people don't even realize that's sitting in your mind. Your mind is created to do one thing, keep you alive, right? So if you are working somewhere that you're miserable and every morning you get out of bed and you're like, oh, if I have to go into that job one more time, I'm going to shoot myself. I cannot deal with my boss one more day. He makes me sick. Right. Your brain is going to protect you. Well, you know what? I'm going to give you the stomach flu. You don't have to go to work today. (laughs) I'm going to give you a migraine. I'm going to keep you safe. And so we start having all these things start happening to us because we have this mind block of going into work and dealing with that. So it's, I don't know when you grew up, but my parents made me speak always positive. Nothing negative could come out of our mouths Mm. because they always told us you get the words you speak, but they forgot the most important trick of all of it is we also get what goes across our brain. So if I spoke something positive and immediately my brain's like, that is never happening. Right. Blocked it, right. So I have to make a conscious effort when things pop in my brain that nope, not happening. This isn't going to work. It's fascinating. Um, it's kind of like the outward dialogue versus the inward dialogue that's happening. I agree. I feel that's common with a lot of people. Maybe that and and I want to transition a little into social media and things of that and that then maybe people's projection of how they feel is not actually the internal talk that they're having in their mind. I guarantee that that's the case. Even I, who've been trained to be aware of what's going on, see that happening all the time. If I'm not feeling well and I go on saying it's a beautiful sunny day, but in, <laughs> I, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm dying. I just want to get back to bed. <laughs> so it happens all the time. The thing is, if you're on social media, people are asking me all the time, I want to be an influencer. I want all these people. If you have 20 people following you, you're an influencer of 20 people. 
every single person, whether it's 20 or 200,000 or 2 million, yeah. they should be like one, right? That you should be treating them like they're all special and individuals. And the best way to do that is show up very authentic. So if you're not feeling well and you're posting it's a beautiful sunny day, <laughs> you might say it's a beautiful sunny day. I wish I had that extra energy to, to go for a run, you know? So you're being more authentic. You're kind of not feeling it. But I guarantee you, everyone posting, even self-image, they have a whole different point of view of what's going on in their head. We have that little inner voice telling us, not good enough. Is it going to work? I'm always fascinated by where our society is going with influencers and social media. I think that word influencer, I was watching a documentary Documentary and was talking about that influencer. And I think that influencer cultures, I, don't, I haven't heard it from your perspective like this. I think people are being somewhat taught like, hey, go viral, get as many people to follow you as possible. Saying that, you know, if you have 20 people following you, an influencer is very, seems very counterculture to what's being blasted out there, what I'm seeing like that. What's, why are, why are we so obsessed with this, with having people follow us and like us? What do you, what are you seeing with that? Um, I see completely different. I, I agree with you, by the way. I work with people all the time. It's all about the numbers and it's not about the quality right, of right. what they're offering them. What I do want to say is if you're influencing 20 people or 2 million people, it comes with an extreme amount of responsibility. You have to really watch everything that comes out of your mouth, what you post, what you're doing, because that one person who might be having a bad day and hears you go off, you might send out that nasty ripple effect. And for every good yes. thing you do that ripples out, for some reason, the negative ripples out faster and bigger. It's huge. Yeah. <laughs> if something bad, if I, if I make a, a really bad remark, everybody's talking about it, but I can put out 50 million good quotes and positive things and it's barely going out there. So you just have to work twice as hard with the positive. You know what, Jana, so true. This has literally been my whole thing is I really focus on being positive. I grew up in a very positive environment, my parents, very successful people, my brother. And I find, I, I said something one day to somebody, I said, it's really hard being positive all the time because it's not like it gains a ton of traction all the time, you know? It doesn't, but it does. It people does, will gravitate but, you know. towards you because you're fun to be around. Right. Yeah. So that's important. If you were negative and every time you were with them, you were sapping their energy with it, yeah. you wouldn't have that group of people following you. Of course. And I think somewhat of the trap online for people sometimes is to kind of create controversy, to create followership, to create a buzz type of thing. But I'm always very like, if I see something that I maybe don't agree with, I, I just don't say anything about it. I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to get into this thing. And then it becomes, then my reputation's on the line. All of a sudden I'm this positive guy, but then all of a sudden I start commenting on stuff and I'm very negative with it. They're like, well, these things don't match up so much <laughs> with this guy, you know? I totally agree. And as an influencer, I have had to learn to no longer comment on politics, whether it's a good comment or a bad <laughs> comment, because you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Even if I said, oh, that was a great thing in a positive way, the people who didn't think it was a great thing all of a sudden attack. So it's really hard because I literally don't comment on religion, on 
politics. I have opinions on them, but my opinion doesn't belong on social media. My opinion belongs when I go vote, right? Or when I, if, or if it's religion, when I go to my place of religion, right. it doesn't really matter. I don't have to sell everybody else on it or comment on it. <laughs> you said something that I'm pretty sure is going to be the, the tagline of this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> your opinion on these things does not belong on social media, like voting, like you said, the voting, yeah. make your opinion known, go in there and cast your ballot. I agree. But, that. Right. But to spew all of this and a lot of it becomes this really negative soup bowl of I'm into this and why could you believe in this thing? You know, and it's what does that accomplish? You know? It doesn't accomplish anything. You're not convincing anyone. The last place that you want to battle somebody is on social media. <laughs> <laughs> you see people ripping each other apart. And I so worry about it, like with this election, election season heating up. And as we get closer to all these primaries and things, it's people feel this need to want to comment on everything, which blows my mind because I just, I never have that desire to like, I need to throw my two cents in on who's running, you know, like, I don't know. I'll just vote when it's time. I, <laughs> I have never missed an election since I was able to vote when I turned 18 and I will never miss an election. But my opinion is when I go to those polls, because that's the only one that actually counts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Jana, you're too, uh, you're too normal. Uh, you're too, like, you're too rational. Okay. You know, everybody else online and we're like, come on, you got to have an opinion. I am totally in your camp though. Uh, I, I love voting. I think it's really important, but, uh, who I choose to vote for and stuff. I just, I cast that ballot when I'm in there for it. And I think it's this, this whole opinion, like tweeting and stuff. I don't, I don't have any of that, but I think it's interesting when somebody has an, like they feel the need to tweet about every current event that happens like on TV or something. I don't understand kind of running out and saying your opinion about something. I don't get that. I, I don't know. It's just me. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to understand what the behavior is for that. Why that behavior? I don't get it either. I think it's attention. Like they want val validation for people to agree with them or mm -hmm. they want to dispute it and show their point. And, you know, this is a great thing. Our country is a place where you can say whatever you want. Sure. You and I can have a podcast that puts out our opinion. Yeah. And so I love that we're in that space. And so more power to you. I just don't find it very interesting for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. I don't know. It's just, a, it's just an interesting, I think, time we're in where we're having these people are having a voice everybody can have some version of a voice online. They could just say it out. And it's interesting. I feel like back in the day, it's like your voice could be muted in a sense, if you didn't have this big, like a TV platform. And if you were just at home, you yelled at the TV. I think that's terrible. You know, like, and now everybody, they don't yell at the TV. They pick up their phone and then they okay. yell through online. And I always think, what's the repercussions of that? Yeah. Well, they're not good. Now you're hearing of people committing suicide because somebody bullied them and yeah. you're hearing of people getting divorces and it's just, it's not a good place. But again, it's a magical place. Where else can I go and search the world? We just have to be smarter consumers, right? I think so. I think it's also that we've been given something that without a manual for it. So it's kind of like, okay, we've been given this incredible power but 
not a lot of people know how to wield the power. You know, it's just very chaotic because they go, okay, I'm going to use this as I'm going to get my word out. They don't actually know how to actually formulate it, formulate it in a way that is not causing damage to other people versus connecting us together like we're doing here now, you know? I agree. I think that it has become one big long commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find some good stuff in between the commercials. How do you see this all playing out? Like, is there in your mind, do you think there still be social media or what will the um, influencer turn into as things go on? Well, we've seen on Instagram something that just recently was on the news that it became some of their top influencers weren't real people. They were digital. What? No, yes, nobody knew it. They had digital pictures, so they weren't a real person. And they had agents that because they had so such a huge following, they were promoting so many different products and they weren't real that Instagram just changed that they're picking up anything digital photos like that. They will not let you post anymore. So those are going away. But it came not even real. They were following something that was digitally formatted. It wasn't a real person and they did not know that. So it's becoming a very scary world where people can create something that isn't even real. And you think, oh, this is my good friend. I'm following her. And it's not even a person. <laughs> yeah, we're just, I, you know what? It actually makes me think of uh, a thing I saw in the weekly um, that they have on Hulu. And it was about deep fakes. And um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with this, but it's, you know, where they're basically like taking people's images and stuff and their, and their, their voice and creating people out of it. And it's almost indistinguishable. You can't tell if it's a fake or a real person uh, in an interview. I find that deeply troubling on some, <laughs> you know, that is very scary, especially if they're doing someone who's an influencer, which, you know, yeah. that's, that's sad because their people trust them, right? They're following them because they've built that relationship. They trust them. And then somebody comes in, that's not real doing a whole different thing. It's sad. It, what's interesting, it is sad. And it's interesting that people are developing the technology more and more to perfect those type of things to create fake people or basically create a line of commentary from a real person that the person never said that could be used against them. It's because there's no accountability for the person creating that. They put oh. all the accountability back on that other person or the fake digital person they're making there's absolutely no accountability to them for it how do we how do we grow in that because i think about in the sense that you know there are some countries where there are there are some censorship with things that's kind of a bad word america though <laughs> censorship you know it's a very bad word <laughs> you know we want to have freedom of speech and stuff but you know how do you how do we mine how do we deal with this because some on some level it could be going too far where there has to be some regulation on it i am a hundred percent supporter of freedom of speech i have military family i believe in your right to speech but i also believe that with your speech comes the responsibility of what you said mm -hmm. so if you're willing to go out on a limb and say something that's completely controversial and take the backlash you've got to be willing to take that because yeah. there's responsibility for the words that come out of your mouth um, and it also alerts me to the fact that maybe I don't want, this isn't the person I want to connect with. This is not my beliefs. They don't run in alignment. And so I can cut this out. Right. I, I think we're in a weird time just because of things like the deep fakes and things that, you know, somebody says, well, that's not my voice. I'm like, well, no, it is. 
it's literally your voice saying these hate hateful things. It was like, prove it. You know what I mean? Like, where's the line that we have that there has to be some more regulation? Like you said with Instagram, is there more responsibility for these platforms to have more regulation for the things being put out? I think there should definitely be something that protects that person whose voice is being stolen because that is, first of all, copyright infringement, right? Because right. it's my voice, you're stealing my platform and creating something that I do not stand for or approved. So it's kind of like right. me stealing songs from major singers right. and not and becoming famous with it and say, nope, it's mine, I sang it, it was me. So I do think that they have to come up with some form of protection for those people. But and the other, I'm never going to stump on the fact that you have freedom of speech. Again, right. it comes with responsibility. So if you're breaking rules, you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> it's not freedom without consequences. There's definitely consequences. Exactly. You, know, you can it. yell fire in a in a public place, right? You can't go into the mall and yell fire. You'll get arrested. You have free speech. But there's consequences if you start to stampede of people trying to right. get out. Right. I just wonder, there's this minefield of of social media and being out there of the things that you say. And I think you should be a lot. I'm, I'm huge in the free speech. You should say you have the ability to say what you like to say. I just wonder with this technological age, how we're going to be able to rein some of this in and whose responsibility it is. Because when you start creating avatars or real, you try to start creating digital fake people and people believe this person is real. <laughs> like, Something has to be done about that. Now you're creating this crazy weird reality, you know? It's a scary place. Again, it's a magical place. <laughs> it is. But, you know, you can meet people. Like, I've met so many people from all across the world because of the internet. And, I mean, I met my, my wife online on Match.com. If there wasn't an internet, that wouldn't have happened, <laughs> you know? Well, I, I'm global. So I am constantly on the phone with other countries dealing mm -hmm. with other clients and other, you know, areas. And so I would never have been able to do that. Like we're, we've moved from being a 20 mile radius around our homes to being yeah. able to reach out and help people globally, which I love that. But yes, there's responsibility because not everybody's as responsible as me when they're doing that. <laughs> so I totally agree that, that we need to be protected and protect consumers. But the best thing you can do as a consumer or someone who's following somebody that's an influencer or someone you like, it's just to be really aware of what they're putting out there. If it sells constantly, there's probably something wrong. If they're not out there really engaging with their clients and connecting with them. So you say sells constantly. Could you elaborate on that a little bit more? So there's a lot of people who make a lot of money as influencers by um, going over product, makeup products, um, clothing, okay. food, right? They're not always real. Because, I mean, if the ones that are either taking you on their video, here I am at so-and-so's restaurant trying this food, they're probably real. Bloggers, mostly real because it's a totally different venue. But people are having those digital ones do, they're selling shoes, they're selling, you know, this is my favorite purse. And they're, they're digitally, they're carrying the purse, but it's not even a real person selling it to you. It's a marketing tool. Wow. That's incredible. Like... I, I think this is good information for people because I think it's easy to just get on. The, the access to getting online is so easy. You know, I think that's the other thing why there's been a huge proliferation of all of this is because the friction to access these things is so low. The bar is so low to sign up for anything. And then when you look at something, I think we're still in a mindset where we still believe it's real.
We still believe that everybody is telling the truth and that all these things are, there's a person selling these sneakers. Right. You know, it's just, it always baffles me when, when these things happen or when I watch specials about people using other people's identities and they have a hundred Facebook pages of the same guy who looks the same dude who's trying to date all these different w women. It's like the evil behind it. But then, like you said, the magical nature of it, this yin and yang of it. It is magical. And have you ever been like to a tropical vacation and they have one of those posts in the sand and it says like Baja this way and there's yes. all these that's what it's like when you get on social media, you're looking for something, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much, what do I do? And everyone, you, you just click on one thing and a million emails start popping in, right? And it's, like, <laughs> it's so crazy. But if you're really determined and you really put on your, your consumer hat and you're like, if it sounds too good to be true, I promise you it is. There is no such thing as a one step, you're gonna lose 50 pounds with this one thing, right? Of course. There is just no magic pill. It's not one big step. It's a, have you ever tried to climb a flight of steps in one step? Like stretch your legs. It's just not going to happen. It's going to take you forever to just figure it out. You, you can't. But it's those steps are there for a reason to get you to the top. So it's just a bunch of one step. So if it sounds too good be, to be true and you buy it, um, well, <laughs> you get what you pay for. Do you think there's a lot of people buying? Like what's that? It's like kind of a thing I was telling somebody else about this. It's like, does this stuff really work with people? Like when you see somebody, I'm like, does this work for you actually? You know, so like, does. is it working enough that people continue to do it does? That's why there's, it's flooding. It's flooding our social media because it does work because there are people out there who are sick, scared, desperate, in need, wanting attention. When I say attention, meaning connection yeah. and, and they will buy it. So yeah, there is like, I have a really good friend who's a social media influencer and she does product, but it's all health fitness. She's vetted it really well. And she's very careful when she approaches it. Like she'll have one day her favorite things. And um, she's like, it's very hard for me because I don't like promoting product, but I do use product and people are asking me all the time. So she's really good about it. And she makes it really clear that she won't take affiliate links because mm -hmm. she wants them to know that I like it because I use it, not because they're paying me a fee. So it's really a hard um, wire to walk on because there are people out there. There's way too many people out there selling and too many people buying. Yeah, I, that, that fascinates me because I, I, gosh, I've been on like LinkedIn for over 12 years now and it doesn't happen to me as much because I think kind of what I've put out there is, is said like, hey, listen, I want to develop a genuine relationship. But a lot of my colleagues are saying, I'm just so fatigued of getting sent messages with, look at this product, look at that, watch this video. And I keep thinking, does this stuff actually work for people? Are people actually buying it? And what you're, what you're telling me is that that's what's happening is people wouldn't do a behavior that much if it wasn't working. They wouldn't keep doing it if there wasn't some actual sales going on, I would imagine. There's a lot of sales going on that way. And it's sad. Um, again, just be aware if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. They're selling a feeling. Let's just say McDonald's. When McDonald's started 
promoting McDonald's, it wasn't because they had a really good burger. It was really <laughs> healthy or nutritious. They, they created an image of family. Moms, we know you work. Don't worry. We got you. You can bring your families here. It's the family place. And it took off that guilt. And you went there for the food because of the feeling, not because you knew you were giving your children a really nutritious meal. Right. And so they create these feelings around um, the product. And you buy that feeling because you feel like it's going to fill something, a, fill a space or a need in your life. And it, it turns out that it doesn't. <laughs> right. Right. Ah, so... It's fascinating. It's really interesting stuff. And um, you're one of the only people I think of that's in that space that I've talked to that is really honest about, you know, basically, hey, well, here's what's going on. And hey, listen, there's no magic pill. Hey, if it's too good to be true, run away from it, <laughs> probably. And I've, I've noticed that a lot of people like yourself are really trying to get people out there to be on podcasts, to do blogs, to create content in a very honest storytelling way. I think that's beautiful. I think it's the right way to do things, in, in my opinion, for that. I feel like it is too. Um, and it's evergreen, seriously. If you're posting a podcast, for instance, and you're talking about a natural product that you're making at home with a recipe for teeth whitener, right? Yeah. And five years from now, somebody's like, gosh, I'm getting older, my teeth, I, I've been drinking too much coffee. And they type in teeth, natural teeth whitener, your blog's going to pop up years later. It's evergreen. And it'll keep drawing people back to like, oh, I wonder if she has any more good recipes, you know, right, that are natural. Right. So yeah, I think blogging is really important. And you should be blogging on multiple sites. Because again, I used to blog a lot on just my personal site. I had the same mm -hmm. 20 readers, right? The same 20 right, people right. read them. But when I started putting the same blogs out, I just repurposed them a little to multiple sites. I've extended my reach to multiple sites, to all right. their readers and their readers. And it like started blowing up. So I created my own blogging site for people who want to blog about holistic wellness. So um, yeah, I think blogging is super important. It's authentic. It keeps coming back to you. All roads, right, should lead back to you, not right. to a product. Ooh. That's powerful. That was actually, man, I've been getting hit today with a lot of gems. I tell you, all roads lead back to you, not a product. Not wow. Good. That's well said, Jana. Listen, there's a lot of meat on the bone here. And I've really appreciated you coming on and, and providing uh, really solid information uh, to my listeners and all the people I don't know out there. <laughs> And uh, so thank you for your time and your honesty and um, and just all of the wonderful things that you've said. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. It was a real pleasure getting to know you better and getting to be on your podcast. Awesome. I want you to have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. Your favorite band's about to play a sold out show and you definitely got tickets and drinks. Now hurry and make it back to your spot. Pass this person and that person about 20 more. Ooh, watch out for feet. Hey. Just keep going. A little further. Oh, there's your friend. Over here. Right where you want to be. Close enough to see the set list. And they're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. 
Visit mfm.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.